following program contains language that may be offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. Tonight on Socalo Radio, the demon dog of American crime fiction, James Elroy, one of the world's best-selling crime writers, author of many books, including The L.A. Quartet, The Black Dahlia, The Big Nowhere, L.A. Confidential, and White Jazz. In this event, recorded as part of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, Elroy dazzles a live audience at the Los Angeles Central Library. In a poetic and profane eulogy, he praises Los Angeles, where he was able to take what he calls his informal L.A. education. Streets walked, jails inhabited, tragedy suffered, and books read, and turn it into something substantive and utterly compelling and great. Here is crime novelist James Elroy. Good evening, peepers, prowlers, pederasts, pedants, panty sniffers, punks, and pimps. I'm James Elroy, the death dog with a hog log, the foul owl with the death growl, the white knight of the far right, and the slick trick with the donkey dick. I am the author of 16 books, masterpieces all. They precede all my future masterpieces. These books will leave you reams steamed and dry cleaned, tied, dyed, and swept to the side, screwed, blued, tattooed, and bafongood. These are books for the whole f***ing family. If the name of your family is the Manson family. If each and every one of you buy 1,000 copies of my books tonight you will be able to have unlimited sex with each and every person on this earth that you desire every night for the rest of your lives. If each and every one of you buy 2,000 copies of my books tonight, you will be able to have unlimited sex with each and every person on this earth that you desire every night for the rest of your lives and still get into heaven as the result of a special dispensation (laughs) signed by me, the Reverend Elroy. If each and every one of you buy 3,000 copies of my books tonight, you get all that sex, you get into heaven, and for the first time in history, the individuals in this room will form a combine to rule the world. You heard it here first, off the record, on the QT, and very hush, hush. T.S. Eliot wrote, if you came this way, starting from anywhere, at any time and in any season, you would have to put off sense and notion. You are not here to instruct yourself or to inform curiosity, or to carry report. You are here to kneel where prayer has been proven valid. 
And for me, James Elroy, the death dog of American literature, prayer has been proven valid in one spot and one spot only, and that is L.A., my smog-bound fatherland, where I was born in 1948, the year of the rat in Chinese astrology. L.A., come on vacation, go home on probation. (laughs) Forty years ago, a punk popped that platitude and clipped a clear cord in my heart. I have followed that lead since I hatched onto this earth a mile west of here at Good Samaritan Hospital, 3448. I was bad in a bad moon. I was born under a bad sign, and I got lucky. Geography is destiny. I was born in L.A., the film noir epicenter, at the height of the film noir era. Thank you for coming. Zocalo and I realized that you had options tonight. You could have stayed home and attended to your sex lives and drug habits, but you didn't. You came here to see me, and I'm grateful because I need you to feel important. I am bemused, I am pixelated, I am querulous, I am quixotic, and I am underhung, and I need you to feel alive. Anne Sexton wrote, My friend, my friend, I was born doing reference work in sin and born confessing it. This is what poems are with mercy for the greedy. They are the tongue's wrangle, the world's pottage, the rat's star. Tonight, I will give you poetry and words. I will heave at you my pottage, and I will hit you with my star. If the whole of Los Angeles history from the post-war era to now can be explained in one individual, you are looking at him. (laughs) But I am not the Rosetta Stone or the deus ex machina to explain Los Angeles. And I'll tell you why. I'm a man, and this is a town of woman hauntedness. Fourteen months before my birth, on the dark, cold morning of January 15, 1947, the torture-ravished body of a young woman was found at ground zero in post-war L.A., 39th and Norton in Lamert Park. Her name was Elizabeth Short. She was not a sulky succubus or a porno actress or a film noir goddess. She was a pie-faced Irish girl with bad teeth and asthma. She became known as the Black Dahlia. That haunted morning, four miles northeast, a man and woman were illegally shacked up together. The man was my father. He was a big, handsome, dipshit, Scottish-American orphanage kid who did not know if he was born in Scotland or Lynn, Massachusetts, 
and he was married to a good-looking World War II Navy nurse named Jolting Jean Hilliker. They were on a collision course with evil paternity and with death. They thought about Elizabeth Short. They ruminated upon Elizabeth Short. They cognified Elizabeth Short in ways that I can only imagine and will never be able to discern in my lifetime. Yet, in their way, they knew her. The investigation into Elizabeth Short's death was attenuated and protracted and went absolutely nowhere. It was the story of dead-end lives up against authority, sex subsumed by terrible regret and passionlessness. We will never know who killed Elizabeth Short, and parenthetically, we will never know who killed my mother on June 22, 1958. Let's take the time machine back to 58 and a hop, skip, and a jump back to the interval between 11547 and 62258. It's the film noir era. LA is a boomtown on the edge of a new era ripe for plunder. After years of horrible systemic corruption in the Los Angeles Police Department, William H. Parker takes over in August of 1950 and turns this into a clean town. He is a titanic and titanically ambiguous figure, and along the way he meets a little rat-faced TV and radio ham actor-director named Jack Webb, and they cook up a public relations bonanza as Dragnet. And where am I from age four on when I'm not looking up women's skirts or out peeping windows or out obsessively reading books? I got my face flush up against the screen looking at Dragnet. And it is a self-fulfilling prophecy within a self-fulfilling prophecy because my old man and my old lady split the sheets and I spend the weeks with her in a town called El Monte, 14 miles east of here, and the week ends with my dad. And man, oh man, a Shevitz, that is one big, good-looking redhead, and I've had a thing for big, good-looking redheads and keep trying to marry them for almost half a century now, and I get back on that hot, hot, smoggy Sunday afternoon, and the cops are in the front yard, and a guy scoops down to my kid level and says, son, your mother's been killed. Where's your father? The die is cast. She betrothed me to twisted sexuality and crime in a heartbeat. My obsessive reading focused narrowed from the world at large to crime to L.A. history. And all of a sudden, a dipshit, dumb kid with a tested low IQ who can't tie his shoes or ride a two-wheel bike develops genius. And in only two manners, 
I loved to read, and I knew something that no other dipshit, geeky, low IQ, 10-year-old boy in L.A. knew at that time. Now, dig it. There are two L.A.'s. There is the outward placid L.A. of the 1950s, and there is a secret smog-shrouded netherworld inhabited by peepers, prowlers, pederast, pedants, panty sniffers, punks, and pimps, and freaks like you who came out on a perfectly nice night when you could have been attending to your sex lives and drug habits to see me. And that level of precocity packed into the confines of the staid, outwardly placid, L.A. of the time nurtured me and taught me and gave me an entire world. You're listening to crime novelist James Elroy. This is Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, L.A.'s free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. Next week on Socalo Radio, we present Will Grand Avenue Live Up to the Hype, an event recorded this past Tuesday at MOCA as part of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series. The Grand Avenue Project has been hailed as a key to the urban rejuvenation of downtown Los Angeles. How will the project's multiple and varied goals be reached? How will Grand Avenue balance public and private constituencies, funds, and needs? L.A. Times architecture critic Christopher Hawthorne, developer Bill Witte, president of the Related Companies of California, Dana Cuff, professor of urban planning at UCLA, and L.A. City Council member Jan Perry discuss the future of Bunker Hill and beyond. That's next time on Socalo Radio, 9 p.m. Sundays on 89.3 KPCC. More information is at our website, socalola.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G. More James Elroy in a moment. Programming on 89.3 KPCC is supported by California State University Fullerton, hosting the Upward Bound Program, a federally funded educational program designed to assist low-income, first-generation students with the skills and motivation necessary to complete high school and successfully enter and excel in college. Cal State Fullerton, celebrating 50 years of creating opportunities for future generations to discover, innovate, and achieve. More information at fullerton.edu. It's not easy cutting greenhouse gases to meet the Kyoto Protocol, even in the country where the treaty was signed. It's a very difficult task for us because there are so many, many buildings now constructed throughout Japan. I'm Renee Montaigne, shrinking Japan's carbon footprint, tomorrow on Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings on 89.3 KPCC. Every day, you count on KPCC to bring you balanced, in-depth news and information. This service is possible only with your financial support. New legislation allows you to make a charitable contribution to KPCC in 2007 from your individual retirement account with potential tax savings. It's a great way to support the programming you rely on. To learn more about charitable IRA rollovers, call us at 626-585-7000. 
Thanks. Welcome back to Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. Here again is crime novelist James Elroy. As events transpired, I had to go wrong in L.A. of the 50s, 60s, and 70s for a very long time. If geography is destiny, so is class, and so is race. I was lucky to have been born a wasp at mid-century, but I was especially lucky to grow up hungry with my whacked-out dad and my unhouse-broken dog at Beverly and Irving on the edge of Hancock Park, adjoining all those big, beautiful pads with big, warm, inviting, wide-open windows and pictures of happy families and beautiful girls who went to Marlboro School in pink dresses and green crew neck sweaters. I am the scion of Protestant clergy, alcoholics, and window-peeping pervs, and it all started to congeal circa 1960. Man, oh man, oh man, did I look. And man, oh man, oh man, did I read. And man, oh man, oh man, did I informally study while learning absolutely nothing in my formal education. I just got lucky because I came from L.A. and I was born in L.A., the film noir epicenter, at the height of the film noir era. My life went very bad in a prescribed 1960s, 70s fashion with drugs, but with no protest because then, as now, I am unassailably Christian and very right-wing. And if I had a hero at that time, it was jolting Jack Webb. And if he was supplanted in his time, it was by the great LAPD cop-turned-novelist Joseph Wambaugh. But L.A. presented itself to me, and I learned, and I learned, and I learned. I saw racial animus come up against authority, and I saw the absolute proper balance between revolution and authority. I went to jail, and I saw the rancid rationalizations of career criminals out to tap an increasingly liberal political system with their pleas of self-pity. I came to view crime as individual moral default on an epidemic scale and nurtured a potent, separate sense of my own powerful identity. I credit L.A. with the save that made me a writer. I credit L.A. with always being up against my face with the perfect balance of stimulation, of comfort, 
of odd diversity, of stay at peace, and of a nurturing, nurturing, nurturing freedom and calm. Big, wide-open public libraries where winos like me were permitted to come and read, even though we didn't have library cards and were sucking on short dog bottles of T-Bird in the john. Safe streets, because if you f***ed up in William Parker, Tom Redden, and Ed Davis's L.A., the LAPD would kick your f***ing ass, and deservedly so. What a place. What a town. What a sensibility. What a mantle to inherit. What a gift I was given. What a history I was bid to recreate. I quit drinking and quit using drugs after a long, hellish transit. I became even more of an uptight sphincter Tory mystic than I was to begin with. And I started writing books. A spirit haunted me throughout all that time. It was Geneva Hilliker Elroy, my mother, one in transmogrification with Elizabeth Ann Short, the Black Dahlia. I was afraid to attack the central myth of my life because I thought it would denude my manhood and take away everything that I had fought for. But I wrote the book anyway. It may shock you, but the hero is a tall, lean, good-looking guy like me with fucked up teeth from a boxing mishap who doesn't like himself very much, who is packing a torch for a nameless woman somewhere out there and the big nowhere, and he finds out who kills Elizabeth Short. But nobody knows but me and him and the woman he loves and the reader. It turned my life around because I was able to take my informal L.A. education. Streets walked, jails inhabited, tragedy suffered, and books read, and turn it into something substantive and utterly compelling and great. From that point on, L.A. history and I were as one. And the grand design of my career became to write L.A. from 1947, the first time we hear the voice of the deus ex machina, Elizabeth Short, to 1959, the cessation of the investigation into my mother's death. I wrote the four books, The Black Dahlia, The Big Nowhere, L.A. Confidential, and White Jazz, went on to write bigger, better books about America at large during the Kennedy era, and history, and my own life, and my own emotional seepage, and crazy, crazy impacted emotion, and the L.A. that I ran from to affluent suburbs came back and devoured me. I was on a book tour in 01. I was happily married to my second wife, and I couldn't sleep. It was the zenith of my career, It was the stone-hard epicenter of my public acclaim, and I couldn't sleep, and I couldn't stop thinking, and I thought incessantly of L.A., 
and windows peeped, and girls in pink dresses and green crew neck sweaters. Skinny to start. I hemorrhaged weight. I started walking into walls. I came home. I got strung out on sedatives. My marriage went bust, and I moved to L.A. You know why I came here? You can run, but you can't hide. You know why I came here? Because L.A. is epidemically everywhere. We are beyond the marketplace and meeting place and town hall for the new world. You are all here at one level of consciousness or another because you know it and you came here tonight to have that affirmed. L.A., come on vacation, go home on probation. There is no reprieve. There is no work furlough. There is no death penalty. You will see L.A. as your last flickering image and on to the next world. And if you spent the bulk of your life here, as I hope you all will, then I think when you get to the other side of the clouds, it's going to look just like L.A., but it is some wild-ass perfect version of the L.A. that you always wanted to see and you never did and you get to look in every window that you wanted to and you get to learn everything that you wanted to learn and you get to see every naked human being that you ever wanted to undress with your eyes and there is a price for that. You have to stay here. L.A., come on vacation, go home on probation. There is no exit, nor should there be. You've just heard crime novelist James Elroy. In a moment, we'll begin the questions the Sokalo audience posed and Elroy's inimitable answers. This is Sokalo Radio, the on-air home of the Sokalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. On Wednesday, October 3rd, join us for An Evening with Michael Govan. 43-year-old Michael Govan recently completed his first year as director of the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. He visits Socalo to chat about his meteoric rise through the art world, his dreams of turning L.A. into the new cultural capital of the U.S., and the things this city must do to help us get there. Anne Philbin, who has been widely credited with turning the Hammer Museum around, will quiz Govan about everything from Jeff Koons, his take on the L.A. art scene, and why he thinks Los Angeles is the most beautifully named city in the world. That's Wednesday, October 3rd, 7 p.m. at the Los Angeles Central Library. And on Tuesday, October 9th, Michael Gerson will relate why we need heroic conservatism. Michael J. Gerson, the speechwriter who penned many of George W. Bush's most influential speeches, is considered by many Democrats and Republicans to be the most influential White House speechwriter since the Kennedy administration's Ted Sorensen. Known around the administration as the moral compass, Gerson was more than a speechwriter. He was also a trusted insider helping to make policy decisions. Gerson visits Sokalo to talk about some of the themes from his new book, Heroic Conservatism, which is both a manifesto for the Republican Party and a memoir of his time in the Bush White House. 
He argues that America needs a new type of conservatism, one that promotes government rooted in moral values and initiates compassionate conservative social strategies such as international AIDS funding and anti-poverty initiatives. That's Tuesday, October 9th, 7 p.m. at the Center at Cathedral Plaza. Events are free, but reservations are recommended. For more information and to reserve seating, just click on our website, socalola.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G. Don't go away. More James Elroy is coming up. Stay tuned to Socalo Radio. Programming on 89.3 KPCC is supported by the California Endowment, working to inform California leaders about the need for health care reform this year. Online at cahealthreformnow.org. It's not easy cutting greenhouse gases to meet the Kyoto Protocol, even in the country where the treaty was signed. It's a very difficult task for us because there are so many, many buildings now constructed uh, throughout Japan. I'm Renee Montaigne, shrinking Japan's carbon footprint tomorrow on Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings on 89.3 KPCC. Next time on Day to Day, soldiers get trained for war, but not for returning home. You have someone say to you, hey, did you do the bills? No. Well, why not? Well, because it's really not that important to me right now. Well, our credit's important. Yeah, I guess. Now states are adopting a program that helps soldiers make the transition. Unfortunately, there's no war peace switch. It takes time. A plan for keeping peace at home next time on Day to Day. Weekday mornings at 9 on 89.3 KPCC. Coverage of public policy issues on 89.3 KPCC is supported by the John Randolph Haynes and Dora Haynes Foundation. Want to become a citizen? You have to pass a civics test. A brand new one is out, and it's asking a whole new type of question. On the next Air Talk, we examine the exam and ask whether it's focused on the most important parts of being an American. It's Air Talk, weekday mornings at 10, here on 89.3 KPCC. back to Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. It's time for the Socalo audience to ask questions for crime novelist James Elroy. My name's Scott Goldstein. I absolutely adore your books, and I got a couple of questions. Yeah. Short. The language that mm-hmm. you use from the late 40s is, right. is nothing short of brilliant. I'm curious about how you discover that language, what was the source of it, and I'm curious right now in the present whether in any future books you're going to use uh, subjects and predicates and complete sentences. I love language. I love racist argot. I love Yiddish. I love hipster patois. I love street slang. 
I love profanity. It's cooking around in here. I like to think. I like to talk. You can figure that out. My new novel, the concluding book, the Underworld USA trilogy, is written in a more formal, traditional, more explicated style. There is greater emotional content in this book than there is in the two preceding novels. But I will never write a book that goes after this book ends in May of 1972. The grand design of the rest of my career is to write another big historical series about Los Angeles, to write, and it will be my next book after this novel, A Memoir of Women, and to write a big book about my people coming over from Great Britain and settling in rural Wisconsin. And instead of becoming farmers and clergymen, as they did in reality, they'll become cops. <laughs> what about the language from the forties? By and large, sir, I make this shit up. <laughs> Hi, my name is Shalene Nunn-Swetfulis. I was wondering, what are your favorite film noir films? My favorite film noirs are Joseph Losey's The Prowler from 1951. I kicked in a couple of bucks to have it restored. I think I get a credit. Crime Wave with Sterling Hayden as the brutal robbery cop, Lieutenant Sims, Russell Crowe. That should have been Bud White in L.A. Confidential. Another one would be Don Siegel's San Francisco film noir, 1958, The Lineup. And the two Billy Wilder films noir, although a bit overrated, Double Indemnity and Sunset Boulevard. Uh, David Bloom, um, since we're speaking about movies, I'm curious about uh, what you think of the, the films that have been made of your work. There are some movies you want to see, and there are some movies you want to flee. On that note, I will say that money is the gift that no one ever returns. (laughs) L.A. Confidential is deservedly a legendary motion picture. I will say that the Black Dahlia, released last year, sold more books in six months than L.A. Confidential did in nine years and six months. And I never look money in the eye without smiling because the size large always fits and the color green is always flattering. (laughs) But let's have some more book questions instead of movie questions. Hi, Kevin Conway. Um, I'm wondering what you think about Los Angeles today versus uh, the 50s and 60s in terms of some of the characters, uh, the chief of police now, the mayor now versus those guys that you spoke about earlier during those previous years, how do you feel about that? Mr. Conway, I'm not being disingenuous here, but I don't know shit about L.A. today except that I live here. I don't have a computer. I don't have a television set. I don't have a cell phone. I don't read the newspapers. I've never been on the Internet, and I ignore the culture. Also, L.A. is largely non-white. Now, I don't speak any foreign languages and don't know any folks from any other cultures. I'm xenophobic. I'm inoculating myself against multiculturalism. I live in a cave. I don't know shit about L.A. And since that's an unsatisfying answer, you get another one. 
I'm sorry, this is not a book question. Um, Why? <laughs> I'm from Great Britain, so um, I might become a cop. But um, I'm going to ask you, you mentioned the story about yourself being a 10-year-old child, and I was listening to that. Uh-huh. But you said that you were a 10-year-old that knew something that nobody else did, but you didn't finish. I knew that there were two L.A.s because my mother was murdered. And at that point, my imagination was unlocked. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, hello. My name is Marlena Picard. I'm, I live in L.A. and in Houston. I'm one of those people who tried to get away, but I couldn't. I had to come back. Yeah. I love L.A., I think, as much as you do. And I'm very grateful that you can articulate for people like me everything that, that lies in our heart about the city. The question I have, and it's really this, in your book, The Black Dahlia, which is the first one I ever read when I lived in London, I had the same connection with that as Lawrence Durrell with Alexandria, the Alexandria Quartet. When you set out to write that book, were you at all influenced by writers like that? I never read the Alexandria Quartet. I have only read crime novels. I've never taken the broad course in American literature that a lot of writers have. Brandon Wilson. Um, hey, Brandon, I didn't recognize you. Hey. I usually see you dress in black, man. What's the matter? <laughs> Things change. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you about writing the current, uh, the third book in the US, Underworld USA yeah. series. Talk, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've told us as much yeah. as you want to about the book itself. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about the writing process? And I'm sure it's mm-hmm. been a different one than some of the other books. It's been, what, six years now. Can mm-hmm. you talk something about uh, writing this book and how, it's, how, uh, how you're different as a writer, perhaps? What challenges this book gave you? Here it is, Brandon. <laughs> My life went in the shitter. My marriage went down. I got strung out. I got clean. My wife dumped my ass. I had obsessive relationships with a woman named Joan and a woman named Kathy. Brandon, ask me what this book is about. What's this book about? Joan and Kathy. And history, but primarily Joan and Kathy. (laughs) This is my book. This is my great novel of towering women. David Marcus, um, was it difficult for Zocalo to get you to come down and speak today? No. You know why? It's because I am the sign of Protestant clergy. You put me at a pulpit, you put me at a lectern, and I'm there. My ex-wife, the brilliant novelist, Helen Canode, author of the best-selling crime novel, The Ticket Out, said, you're this far from becoming a demagogue. Uh, And multicultural, enlightened folks like Zocalo should not encourage you. But they do. Hi, Lucy Ibarra. I I was wondering if you could reveal a little bit about your decision to put pen to paper and actually write if you can just elaborate on your decision to to become an author. I had a novel that I wanted to write when I was 30 years old, recently sober the first time, and caddying at Bel Air Country Club. It co-opted events from my past. My fixation 
a Black Dahlia murder case, by growing up at Beverly Boulevard and Western Avenue, a friend I had at the time, my huge love of classical music, my brief tenure in 1968 as a car repossessor, and my current place of employment, Bel Air Country Club. I put it all into a hat, and I threw in a bunch of those exploding pieces of gum, Pop-Tarts, and out came Brown's Requiem 11 months later. I had a story that I wanted to tell, and I wanted it to the exclusion of everything else in my life. Uh, have you read the the myriad of Black Dahlia uh, theory books uh, regarding this? And I want to know what you thought of both the underlying theories as well as the writing. Uh, I don't care. No. We we don't. We're never going to know who killed Elizabeth Ann Short on January fifteenth, nineteen forty-seven. Doesn't matter. The fucker is dead. He ain't gonna kill your mother. He ain't gonna kill your girlfriend. He ain't gonna kill your daughter. Your wife. Question over here. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hi. Hi there. My name is Mei Ling, and I also grew up around Beverly and Western. I went to an elementary school called Van Ness Avenue. I went to Van Ness Avenue. <laughs> Did you go to Lacante? No, I actually then went to private school in West L.A., but I had a lot of other friends who went to John Burroughs. I went to John Burroughs. And I just wanted to know if you had any memories of going to school in that area and other stuff like that. I wrote a piece for GQ magazine that was published in 98 called Let's Twist Again about my very happy three years at John Burroughs Junior High School from September 1959 to June of 1962, the Kennedy era. I went back with the help of a policeman buddy of mine and found a lot of the girls that I stalked. In the early 1960s, Donna Weiss, Kathy Montgomery... Cynthia Gardner, Leslie Jacobson, Jill Warner, Gina Blumenfeld, as 50-year-old women. And a buddy of mine became reacquainted with, Steve Horvitz, and I staged the John Burroughs class in 1962 reunion. I dearly loved the time I had there. And it was a little bit of a way station on my headlong rush to film Noir Disaster before I became, of course, the handsome, tall, imperiously good-looking, brilliant writer that you see today, and a happy guy, chiefly because I live in L.A. He has to come back to L.A. That's the theme of this evening. Continue with questions for writer James Elroy in a moment. This is Socalo Radio, the honor home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. This fall, the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series continues to invite top-notch guests. LACMA's Michael Govan tells the Hammer Museum's Anne Philbin about his take on the LA art scene. Conservative luminary Michael Gerson argues for what he calls heroic conservatism. And critically acclaimed novelist Francisco Goldman visits Socalo to discuss the themes of his first nonfiction book, The Art of Political Murder, Who Killed the Bishop, about the murder of Guatemala's leading human rights activist, Bishop Juan Gerardi. Events are free, but reservations are recommended. For more information and to reserve seating, just click on our website, socalola.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G. 
I just want to let you know that I love Zocalo. I think it's a great place to have a public forum. Often when I come to one of your talks, I hear people say something where I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you just said that in public. Can you really say that? And it's going on the radio. It's fantastic. I don't... I could think of very few places in Los Angeles where you have a forum where people could do something like that. I think the event is fabulous and the food and drink is fabulous, so it's been a successful evening. This is only the second time we've come to one of their events, but we like the fact that it's free, for one thing, and that they get really good, interesting speakers who have something important to say. I like the food. (laughs) I live in Long Beach, so... I can get here by train, enjoy the cultural activities that are available in downtown Los Angeles. Zocalo is excellent. It just gives you a lot of diversity about the city that you don't get in the mainstream press. And I just think there's a wealth of information to be garnered by any Zocalo program that's offered. I was completely blown away. I love the availability on podcasts because occasionally I'll miss a program. It lets me go back and pick it up. The quality is also very nice. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. You give them some great things to think about, and then after that, you feed them. I mean, it's all about the people here. Hi, this is Larry Wilmore. Make sure you listen to Zocalo on KPCC. I'm listening. If you have comments, critiques, or kudos about Zocalo Radio, send them to comments at zocalola.org. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-T-S at Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G. More James Elroy in a moment. Mullins. What drives leaders to take their nations to war? What inspires young men and women to strap suicide bombs to their bodies? Journalists for PRI's The World understand there are no simple answers, so they dig into complex issues one story at a time. Join us for a full hour of reports and interviews that expand your understanding of world events on The World. Weekdays at noon on 89.3 KPCC. 89.3 KPCC is now broadcasting in HD digital stereo. With a new HD radio receiver, you can listen to our main service and two alternative channels, BBC Mundo, the Spanish-language news service of the BBC, and The Current, adult alternative music from Minnesota Public Radio. For more information on HD radio, please visit kpcc.org. Anyone who's lived in Southern California for very long has probably heard the twin sonic booms that announced that the space shuttle's landing at Edwards Air Force Base. But 60 years ago, Californians heard that sound from the skies for the first time. Test pilot Chuck Yeager took to the air and broke the sound barrier. Yeager is back at Edwards for a special broadcast about the moment and how it changed aviation and the world. It's here Monday, beginning at 1 p.m. Every day on All Things Considered, we bring you novel ideas and remarkable stories. This is really a new development. Oh, my God, I will never forget that. You can't teach that kind of stuff. You just have it. We can shock them a little, too. 
Something new, something unexpected, maybe even unforgettable, on All Things Considered from NPR News. Weekday afternoon, starting at 3.30 on 89.3 KPCC. Welcome back to Socalo Radio, the honor home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. Now, notorious crime novelist James Elroy continues to answer questions from the audience. Dave Mellon. Hey, Dave. All right. All right. Last time I saw you. Huh? How's it hanging? Last time I saw you, you. Last time I saw you, you had a band. What happened to the band? Many years ago at the Met Theater, I would do some profane shtick with a rock and roll band. And I used to sing a song. This could be the start of something big with my own profane lyrics. You want to hear a couple of bars? Yeah. You're beating up Rodney King and starting a riot. You're doing a drive-by hit and smoking some crack. You're crawling up someone's thighs and telling them showbiz lies. And you know they know you're just a sleazing hack. You're getting a bad head job or borking a drag queen. And the religious right is giving you sh- But then you hear angels sing, cause L.A.'s the place to swing. And you know that you don't mind it all a bit. So go get your dick enlarged and get your breasts lengthened. Only the large survive in this shimmering land. Cause L.A. is watching you. It x-rays you through and through. And you can't get by with tiny little glands. Woo! Dave. Keith Martin. I work at Good Samaritan. You should come back. And uh, there's some good stories there. People I, who... I'm gonna, I checked in there. I think I'm going to check out there, okay. too. And if I keep eating steaks at the Pacific Dining Car, it'll be soon. <laughs> They'll keep you alive. The research for your four books, mm-hmm. um, can you talk a little about that? Because you, you said earlier that you didn't use any computers, and you know, it doesn't sound like you, you did a lot of... Uh, reading is of other sources. It doesn't sound important to you. And the, that was one question I have for you. The other question I have for you is about geography. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a big factor in those books. And I'm just trying to get an idea of, for someone who's new to Los Angeles, how, how would they uh, understand the geography that you know? Get a Thomas Brothers map. That would be a good place to start on geography. <laughs> I researched the Black Dahlia murder case off newspaper microfilm. Read a couple of books on the Red Scare for the big nowhere. L.A. Confidential, the centerpiece, the biggest of the four books. Did zero research. Hold on a second. I read some newspaper microfilm about the bloody Christmas police brutality scandal of 1951. Other than that, I made it all up. Informal study and obsession. Hi, my name's Hejung Cho, and I went to Marlboro School. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wore one of those pink dresses in a different era, and I was wondering if you ever spoke to any of those Marlboro girls or had any interaction other than looking through the windows? I went to the Marlboro prom in 1966. I had a fixed-up date. 
She became a poet of some note here. Her name's Laurel Bogan. You may have heard of her. She dines out on her blind date with me 41 years ago. I was blotto. I was shit-faced. And I met a girl named Margaret Craig. She was this tall. She was a little heavy set by the world standards, utterly lovely to me. She had gray eyes that were so light that it looked like she sent them out to be bleached. <laughs> You're younger than me, a senior. She lived on Severance Street down by USC. Dad was a college professor there. And I would imagine that those poor folks hocked their souls to put little Margaret in Marlboro. I was in love. I asked her out. I spent my last $40 buying a junk car to take her on a date. And I showed up at Severance Street off of Jefferson, and her dad took one look at me and did that. But we spoke. (laughs) And Helen Canode, my beloved ex-wife, best friend, always contends that sooner or later... Kay Omstead or Margaret Craig or Missy Morris or Julie Smith, they're going to find me because they're tired of my shit, me talking about them from a podium. <laughs> and they're going to throw themselves at me and say, Elroy, finally, I'm yours. I'm 57 years old. I have four grown-up kids. I just got out of rehab. I was rich then. You've got a couple of bucks now. I'm yours. <laughs> and what will you do, mother? when confronted with L.A. history then. (laughs) I don't know. Hi, I'm Rob Clampett. I wanted to find out if you might write about the Kennedys again and if you've ever heard about JFK doing acid while he was in the White House. (laughs) I will never write about the Kennedys again. The chronological conclusion of my life's work occurs at the end of this novel, 1972, that I'm going back in time. Yes, I've heard that JFK was a hophead, that he used to drink liquid methamphetamine and toke Mary Jane and take acid. People often ask, you've written all these horrible things about the Kennedy family, why don't they sue you? And I tell them that if the Kennedys sued everybody who writes about them, They would be in court all day, every day, and they wouldn't have any time to get drunk, rape, and murder women. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to ask you about the uh, James Blake case. James Blake. Uh, Blake was the uh, the actor Blake. Robert Blake. Yeah. Robert Blake. Excuse me. Was there? I heard there was like some rumor you might have been involved. In that case, and like, he might have walked because of that or something. I don't know if there was any blood. Who was involved in this? Robert Blake was involved in the Robert Blake case? The, the murder yeah. case. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. I heard that you were associated with one of the detectives that was investigating the case. I'm friends with a lot of guys in Los Angeles Police Department who worked on the case, yeah. That's as far as it goes. Look, one more question, though. A little, that was a little bit specific, yeah. Yes, sir. It's a literary question you were asking, and I'm just curious about the writers that influenced you. And I'm not talking about Dashiell mm-hmm. Hammett or Raymond Chandler, mm-hmm. but people who are more gutsy like you, like David Goodis, who's a f- favorite of mine, mm-hmm. or uh, Mickey Spillane even. Who were who some of the writers that really touched you on an emotional level and on a stylistic level? More than anyone else, Joseph Wambaugh, the Los Angeles policeman turned novelist, his early work, The Choir Boys, The Blue Knight, The Onion Field. 
the single most influential book, my life, was Don DeLillo's novel Libra about the Kennedy assassination. The Kennedy hit, seen largely from the viewpoint of Lee Harvey Oswald, it is the sole genesis of the Underworld USA trilogy. I read that book. I said, there is the overarching American low-life loner, Lee Harvey Oswald, of all time. How come DeLillo got there first? Here's why. He's significantly smarter than me and a much better writer and a good deal older. I read that book in 1988. It went through me like a shock. I knew that I could not specifically address the Kennedy assassination, but I could write a big historical novel set from 1958 to 1963 that ended with the assassination, which would be shown from off page, and I could chart the antecedents of the assassination going way back to Bobby Kennedy's tenure as chief counsel for the McClellan Senate Rackets Committee. Libra inspired me. DeLillo inspired me. I thank him for attribution every chance I get. Does anybody want to ask me, why do you write? In my art or sullen craft, exercised in the still night, when only the moon rages and the lovers lie abed with all their griefs in their arms, I labor by singing light, not for the strut and trade of charms upon the ivory stages, but for the common wages of their most secret heart. Not for the proud man apart do I write on these spindrift pages, but for the lovers, their arms round the griefs of the ages, who pay no praise or wages, nor heed my art or craft. Dylan Thomas, thank you for coming. You've been listening to crime novelist James Elroy. This is Socalo Radio, the honor home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. Socalo Radio is supported by a generous grant from the James Irvine Foundation and by the California Endowment. Catch us again next Sunday, or we'll see you at one of our many free events around town. For more info, go to SocaloLA.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G. The executive producer for Socalo Radio is Peter Stenshole. Douglas Gary is our engineer. Thank you for tuning in. Contribute to KPCC today and you're entered for a chance to win a 10-day Alaskan cruise.